see you tonight. Trust you've had a good day. and uh, It was easy for you to get around and get to church tonight. Thank you for coming. I, I never take for granted that people take time out of their busy lives and schedules to come to God's house. So thank you so much for being here on this Monday evening revival service. I want to get right into the message. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. While you're turning to that, let me give you the context of Luke chapter 15. Jesus is, has a crowd gathered around him, and he's about to preach a sermon. And what a sermon it is. You know, I, I hear a lot of opinions today about what good preaching is. You know, there's all kind of ideas and opinions of what makes for good preaching. You know, some guys think if it's not expository uh, type preaching or textual preaching, it's not valid, it's not biblical. Some think if it's not uh, <clears throat> narrative or storytelling kind of preaching, there's all kinds of different ways to preach. And some guys kind of, sometimes it's easy to get hung up and think the way we do it, I do it's the only way to do it. But you know what I found out? If you ever notice in the Bible, the Bible never really tells a man how to preach. I know it, God calls men to preach. And beyond the fact just say, where it says uh, preach, you know, be, be instant in season and out, out of season, reprove, rebuke with all long suffering and praise, preach the word. Beyond that, there's no real instruction. And I think there's a reason for that. I think God wants to use each one of us. He calls individually with our own personalities and our own characteristics and our own experiences in life and, as we preach his word. And so, uh, but, but you know, I, I, I used to worry a lot about this, about my preaching style. And <clears throat> I, there's a long time, for a while I spent, I tried to be like this preacher, that preacher. You know, the happiest day of my ministry was when I found out I didn't have to be somebody else. Amen. I could be who God created me to be, and that was okay. May not be okay with you, but it's okay with God, okay? So me and him are good. But when you think about this, who, who do you figure be the greatest example of preaching to follow? I mean, there have been some amazing preachers throughout. And I've, I've read, I read after all the great preachers. I, I've read, I think I've read every sermon Charles Spurgeon ever had published. <clears throat> D.L. Moody, uh, Billy Sunday. I mean, I've, I've read the sermons of these great preachers. But you know, of all the preachers, those were great preachers, but the greatest preacher was Jesus himself. And I figure if I patterned myself after him, I'm probably in pretty good company, you think? And in, his, in this sermon he's about to preach, I want you to understand it's, it's a sermon. Now, some people say this is three different parables, but I don't think that's the case. I think it's one parable. It's one sermon with three points. Now, now we, so we can at least say that it's biblical to preach a sermon with three points. Amen. <clears throat> if Jesus did it, it was okay, right? And so he's going to preach this sermon. Now, I want you to think about who the congregation is. It says that there are publicans and sinners around him. So first of all, they're about to hear this sermon Jesus is going to preach where people who were lost and knew they were lost. He, Jesus didn't have to convince them that they needed a Savior. They, they knew they were lost. But also says there were Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees around him. Now this was the religious crowd of Jesus' day. You know what? They were lost and didn't even know they were lost. They thought they were okay. They were religious. And so to this congregation, Jesus is about to preach a sermon that I've entitled, Lessons from the Lost and Found. You know, Jesus said of himself, he said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. If that was Jesus' purpose, then that should be our purpose. That should be the purpose of every preacher, every Christian, every church, every Christian organization should be to reach the lost for Jesus Christ. That's why he came. That was his purpose. And he's about to preach an amazing sermon to these around him that were lost. 
Let's just pick up in verse 1 of chapter 15 of Luke. It says, Then drew nigh unto him the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And then they went always the religious crowd. You know, they don't realize their own need. They're always talking about what everybody else needs. You know, you got to be careful sometimes that you just, you, you, you're focusing on what everybody else needs instead of focusing on what you need and what I need. So the focus wasn't even really on, the focus was on the fact that Jesus would even associate with these bunch of publicans and sinners. You know, I'm glad Jesus associates with sinners. Amen. If he didn't, I would have never been able to approach him. I would have never been able to come to him. So I'm glad he did. And then in verse 3 it says, And he spake this, and notice the next word, this parable. Not parables, not plural, singular. He spake this parable, one parable. Spake this parable, saying, he gives the first point. He says, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not have the ninety and nine in the not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When he cometh home, he calls together the friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Now, as I said, this sermon of Jesus has three points. I used to try to preach all three points in one sermon, but I found out that's not possible for me, and I'm not going to do that to you tonight. So I've split them up. I preach one point per sermon, and it works out better that way for me. Uh, some guy said, some fellow told me one day, he said, Brother David, you have the... The, the, the gift of taking a, <laughs> making a long, a short story long. And I said, okay, <clears throat> thanks. But, uh, but this sermon, this sermon, Jesus, I want you to see the three points. I want you to understand the three points. First of all, he tells us there's a lost sheep. Then he secondly, he's going to tell us there's a lost silver coin. And then thirdly, there's a lost son. So three things. That, that are lost. Now, there are some things that are the same in all three of these. And some of the things that are the same would be this. First of all, in all three of these points, something or someone is lost. Okay? Also the same in each of these three points. Not only is someone something lost, but that which is lost needs to be found. Don't miss that. God wants us to understand that everyone who's lost deserves the opportunity to be found. And the same in all three, not only that something, someone is lost, not only that that which is lost needs to be found, but the same in all three is this, that when that which was lost is found, somebody rejoiced. We ought to rejoice when those that are lost are found. As a matter of fact, Jesus said it this way. He said that the angel, when, when that which is lost, when someone who's lost is found, he said the angels in heaven rejoice. I'm thinking whatever makes the angels rejoice ought to make us rejoice. Maybe that just help us practice before we get to heaven of just joining in with them rejoicing when sinners down here get found in Christ. So that's the things that are the same. <clears throat> but it is the things that are different from one point to the next that I want to draw your attention to tonight and possibly even the next night or two. In this first point, the lost sheep, I want you to understand some things about this lost sheep. First of all... <clears throat> 
I, I used to wonder why God compares us to sheep as Christians until I started learning about sheep. So you know why God compares us to sheep? Because sheep are dumb. If you, know, if you know anything about sheep, they're dumb. They're not only dumb, they're defenseless. They, really, they don't have any claws or jaw, you know, teeth, you know, and, and they can't even run that fast. Not only are they, are they defenseless and, and dumb, they're, they're directionless. They, they don't know which way to go. And they are dependent upon the shepherd for everything. There's a reason God compares us to sheep. We, we, have to, we are dependent upon our shepherd for everything. And without him, we have no direction. Without him, we have no defense. Without him, we have, we have no purpose. Well, it's in the shepherd that the sheep find purpose. It's in the shepherd the sheep find their defense and their direction and what they should do. And as I think about that lost sheep, you know, the story says that at 100 sheep, one of them gets away from the fold, away from the other 99 sheep, and is lost. But it says he leaves the 99 in the fold, leaves them there to go after the one that's lost. Outside the fold, out on the mountains, out in the wilderness, he goes to search for that sheep. Now, <clears throat> I want you to consider something with me. Why do you think it was so important for that shepherd to leave the 99 that were there and go after the one that was lost? I had read and studied this text many years, <clears throat> preached it many times, uh, as I, you know, all as one sermon, kind of put it all together into one sermon. But one day I was reading that, <clears throat> and something dawned on me. When I read that text, it says a, a man had a hundred sheep. Who, who does it say lost the sheep? And he lost the sheep. Is that what your Bible says? You with me? Who lost the sheep? The shepherd lost the sheep. Wait a minute. That, that puts that thing in a whole different perspective. When you think about that it was the shepherd that lost the sheep. See, as I understand sheep, many times the sheep are grazing... They, they, they won't watch around them. They, they, don't watch, no, they don't notice what's around them. They don't notice who's around them. They just, with their faces down, they eat. They rarely look around. They rarely look up. And their faces are close to the ground. <clears throat> and, and so they don't pay a lot of attention to what's going on around them. And so these many times sheep, as they're grazing, as they keep grazing and finding, finding the grass to graze, and they move about, that, that sometimes, not meaning to, doesn't do it on purpose. It, it wasn't planned. It wasn't scheduled. But they'll look up, and they'll see, they, they won't see the shepherd anymore. They won't see the other sheep. And now they're lost. They didn't mean to get lost, but they're lost. They didn't plan to get lost, but they're lost away from the shepherd and the other sheep. Who lost a sheep? Well, the Bible says the shepherd, if he loses one, the shepherd lost the sheep. You see, that sheep was dependent upon that shepherd to take care of him. It was the shepherd's job to defend that sheep, to give that sheep direction, to keep that sheep in the fold. It was the shepherd's responsibility. And oh, when that hit me one day, I want you to understand it, it did something in my heart. Change the way I look at some things. Thank you. And uh, because I began to think about some things when I was pastor. Now, I've not pastored a church in over, just over 25 years now. But I say I'm a pastor. I, I kind of, I'm kind of like a pastor to pastors now across our denomination. 
And uh, so I still kind of get, know what a pastor is, what it's like to be a pastor. I still have a pastor's heart. Uh, I loved being a pastor. I'm not doing what I'm doing because I didn't love being a pastor. I loved being a pastor. But when I saw this one day and, and I began to realize it was the shepherd that lost the sheep, I remember one day that I was sitting in the office here. Now, before I tell this story, please, the person who's involved in this story, whose name I'm going to give, I do not mean any disrespect to them, okay? And please listen to the whole story before you get angry at me, okay? Because I think it would be helpful if you listen to the, the whole story. I was sitting in the office back here one day, and there were some men working on our, the parking lot out here. And <clears throat> so there was a knock on my door, and I opened the door, and it was one of the guys from work that they were, I guess, resealing and restriping the parking lot out here. And, and so he, he says to me, he says, Pastor, he says, <clears throat> we're ready to start painting the spaces. And he says, now, there's somebody here that can tell us where to put the handicapped parking spaces. So I'm thinking, okay, handicapped spaces? I, I, mean, I figure I can probably do that. I mean, how hard could that be? Places closest to the doors, places the easiest access. I mean, come, I mean, you don't have to be, you know, a rocket scientist to figure that out, right? I thought, well, and there's nobody else here but me and, and these guys. I said, well, I, I said, I'll come out there and I can do that. So I went out and I showed them, I said, all right, this, these are places where we want the handicapped space to put. And so that's what they said. He said, well, that's what we'll do. That's where we'll put them. I went back in my office and sat down. And I sat down thinking, I have done a good thing. I have been, at least I have been productive with something today. I got something accomplished today. I've, I, I have done a good thing. But I hadn't. Oh, I hadn't. The next day, I'm in my office, another knock on my door. I opened the door, and it was Brother Albert Me, who was the chairman of our trustee board at that time. And he was mad. I don't mean he was mad a little bit. He was mad a lot. His face was red. I, I went back and said, I thought he was going to sit on the couch. He, he, he came over and stood in front of my desk. And he leaned over my desk, and he says, I want to know who told him where to paint those handicapped spaces. He said, you did? I said, yeah, they asked. And he says, you had no authority to do that. I said, it was handicapped spaces. Is it not the right places? He said, that was not your job. You had no authority. He said, I'm the chairman of the trustee board. That was my job, and you took my responsibility. You had no authority. And I wish I could tell you I responded in a loving and kind way. But the redneck climbed out. I said, I mean, I think, I'm on, I mean, pastor of the church. It's handicapped parking spaces. I'm, and I can't, I'm sorry to tell you, but I, I look and I said, let me tell you something right now, buddy. Pastor of church trumps chairman of trustee board every time. Oh, he was mad when he came in. He's madder now. I mean, the veins pop out on his neck. His cheeks puff out. Puts his finger in my mouth. He says, I'm telling you right now, when I walk out of this building today, I will never ever set foot in this building ever again. And he stomped out of here and he started keeping his promise. You that knew him knew he just lived just right over here. Halfway between the church and my house where we lived. And I had to pass his house day after day after day, many times a day passed his house. Those of you who knew him Miss Della, you know, he liked to work outside in his yard. And he had some nut trees and <clears throat> fruit trees and things, and he just liked working outside. And, but, you know, 
He just made me mad. He, he, he questioned my authority. He had no right to tell me. I had no authority to tell him where to put handicapped spaces. I mean, who's he think he is? And I was mad at him. I'm just telling you, I was so mad at him. And it was obvious he was mad at me. As I drive by, and I would, I'd see him outside, I wasn't going to stop. He should come and apologize to me, talking to me like he did. The problem was that Nicole and Ryan, they loved Brother Albert. And he loved them. Before we got so mad at each other, he, we'd stop, he'd be in the yard, and kids would get out, run up, and they'd hug his neck and kiss him on the cheek. We'd leave, he'd have their pockets full of nuts and candy and toys. and They loved him. I'd have them in the car. I wasn't stopping. He had no right to talk to me like that. I'd drive home by. That goes on for months. What was so, you know, what was so ironic of the whole thing, as you, many of you knew, Miss Bella didn't drive. She'd never, never had a driver's license, to my knowledge. And he had to bring her to church. But if you remember, he would, if you remember this, he would bring her. He wouldn't go home and come back. He would sit out in his car in the parking lot till church was over. Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday morning service, Sunday night, Wednesday night, ladies' auxiliary meetings. I mean, Miss Della, she wanted to come to everything. Now, she told him, said, you can quit if you want to. I'm not quitting. So he, he, had to be, he was out in the parking lot every service, even though he wasn't coming in the building. And I'd pass his house so many times. Now, I don't know, Ryan was probably about six or seven years old, and I guess Nicole would have been about 11 or 12 years old at the time. And we were getting close to his house one day, and Ryan looked and saw he was in the yard, and Ryan said, Daddy, he said, don't you think it's time we stopped and saw Brother Albert? Don't you hate it when your kids do that stuff to you? I said, well, you're right, Ryan, we probably do. I pulled in there, they jumped out, run up, grabbed him, kissed him on the cheek, hugged his neck like they always had. I went over and put out my hand, he grunted, and I grunted, and we shook hands, and that's about the extent of our conversation. He just talked with the kids, and we left. They had the pocket full of candy and nuts. And so we kept riding by. Every now and then, I'd stop and let the kids. I'd stop and let the kids talk to him. I'd barely speak, and he'd barely speak to me. One day, as we were getting close to his house, God's Holy Spirit started tearing me up. I began to understand. You see, as chairman of the trustee board, he, he was a good chairman of the trustee board. He, he took care of things. I didn't have to worry about those kind of things. He was good at that. And, and I began to realize that was his identity in the church. And I had taken that away from him. I didn't mean to. I didn't plan to. I just didn't think about it. I just didn't think. I mean, I could have called him. He'd have been here in five minutes. I just didn't think. But I'd taken his identity away from him in our church. And God was tearing me up so much. I was praying. I was hoping he'd be out in the yard. And as we got closer, he was. And when I pulled in the drive that day, I beat the kids to him. He stuck out his hand, I grabbed him, I hugged his neck, and I said, Brother Albert, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, please forgive me. 
I shouldn't. I didn't. I didn't mean to take your job. I didn't. I didn't mean to to, to do your job. I, I just didn't think, Brother Albert. I, I just. I just didn't think. I should have thought. I should have called you. You could have. I know you'd have been here and you'd been right on top of it. I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. I got so mad at you. Will you please forgive me? Will you please come back to church? We miss you so much. His head down. He just said, "Well, I'll think about it," and that's about all he said. Well, some weeks passed. About a month later, one morning early, he calls me. When I answer the phone, he says, Pastor, Della passed away in her sleep last night. It wasn't something that they were expecting. I mean, she had some, some physical thing, but, you know, nothing that they thought she was going to pass away. It was imminent. Uh, but, and he said, Pastor, I was just wondering. We have her funeral in the church. And would you do her funeral? I said, Brother Abbott, I, I can't believe you even have to ask me. I'll be glad to do her funeral. You can use the church. We'll fix food, whatever you need. We'll do whatever you need, Brother Albert. The first time he set foot back in this building, and that day he stomped out of my office, was Miss Della's funeral. After the funeral, a couple of weeks passed, he hadn't shown back up. One Sunday, I, I was preaching. I was about 10 minutes into my sermon and just about to hit high gear. And those doors right there opened up. And he stepped into the auditorium. I don't know if any of you remember it. And he just stood back there like he didn't know what to do. And of course, I was the only one that sees him at this point. Now, I was just getting, really getting started in my sermon, but you know, my sermon was finished. I wasn't finished, but it was over. I just shut my Bible. I ran across here. We had rails there, and I ran across and came down. I ran down that aisle. Now, I know folks was wondering, what's wrong, Brother David? You'd seen me run the aisles before, but not saying anything, not doing it, running and saying, not saying anything. You know, where's he going? What's going on? I ran back there, and I grabbed him. I hugged his neck. And I said, Brother Albert, thank you so much for coming back to God's house. Thank you so much. And oh, listen. You know why the shepherd went after that sheep? Because he lost it. It was his responsibility. When I think about all the sheep that I lost, that I lost, God helped me to find some of them. Help me to get some of them back, but not all of them. And I've just prayed for some. That maybe God's got a good shepherd somewhere that can help see them be found again. You see, sometimes we just need to get over ourselves, get over our pride and our ego and our arrogance, and get over our authority, and get over and just go and apologize to some people for some things we've said and done because we've lost them. Please understand something tonight. The pastor is not the only shepherd in church. He's the lead shepherd. But every Sunday school teacher is a shepherd. The shepherd, you shepherd that class. Youth workers, you shepherd that youth group. You that do the music, you, you shepherd the, those who participate in music, those who lead that. I, listen, every father should be the shepherd of your home. 
Every mother, the shepherd of your home. I believe that every Christian should be a shepherd to somebody. Every shepherd, every Christian, every Christian. You see, we don't want that kind of responsibility. We don't want that kind of obligation. But I'm saying to you, there are some people, if you don't be a shepherd to them, they're not going to be found unless you shepherd them, unless you go after them, unless you find them. And when that shepherd found that sheep, listen, he didn't drag it back. He picked it up and put it on his shoulders lovingly, and he carried it back to the fold. And when he got back, he said they rejoiced because that sheep which was lost had been found. Mm. Man, what's, what, a, what, a, what a sermon. Goodness. What, what a, can you imagine how those religious people were feeling about this time? He said to them, you, you, you've not, you've lost, you're lost yourself and you've lost many sheep. I mean, he's condemning them right to their face. I can't imagine they're enjoying that very much, can you? When our children were growing up here, those of you who knew Ryan and Nicole when they were here through their teenage years, if I were to say to you that you, you, had, you didn't know anything about them after they got out of their teenage years, you didn't know, have any information about them, and I say to you that knew them, if one of my children, when they get up grown and on their own and get married, will get out of church and, and get away from, from serving the Lord, I'm pretty sure most of you, probably all of you that knew them would probably say it, must have been the cold. Now, I've told her this myself, so I'm not saying something I hadn't said to my daughter. Because if, if you remember, she, that girl has an attitude. She got it from her mother. <laughs> you know better than that, don't you? She's, you know, it's just that teen, I mean, she was a good girl. Morally, she, she, you know, she didn't do anything wrong morally, that kind of thing. She was good. But she just had that, I mean, that teenage attitude. Do anybody know what I'm talking about? Please, somebody knows what I'm talking about. Thank you. Hers kicked in at about 10 years old. And she got hers and I think somebody else's too. And she it just questioned everything. Oh, man, she would get so mad because we wouldn't let her go somewhere because it wasn't somewhere, a place she needed to be. And she, or she couldn't do something because it wasn't something she needed to be doing. And she'd get so mad and she'd say, she'd say, I hate being the pastor's daughter. Well, you can't do anything. You got to be better than everybody else. Got to live better than everybody else. Got to dress different than everybody else. Can't go anywhere. And she'd just, oh, I tell you right now, she said, I'll never marry a preacher. And I'd say, be careful, little girl. Be careful what you say. And she married a preacher, as you know. And she knew he was a preacher when she married him. So it wasn't, it wasn't an accident. She just, the attitude. I mean, one day she was just, he was just having her a time. I mean, just, I, I hate this. I don't like this. I can't do anything. I, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's just not fair. Being a pastor's kid. Ryan's sitting there listening. Finally, Ryan just says, you know, Sissy, called her Sissy. and Sissy, he said, I've been thinking about this. And when Ryan said that, you didn't, never knew what was coming out of his mouth. Never knew what was coming out of his mouth. That boy thought about things nobody thinks. One day we were trying to get him ready for church. He was the slowest human to get ready in the history of the world. We would come past his room. I'd say, son, get your clothes on. I'd be by, he'd have maybe his pants on. 
get your shirt on. I come by, he'd have, you know, get your socks on. I'd come back two, two three minutes, he had one sock on. I said, son, one day I just had enough. I'd been about four or five times. I said, son, let me tell you right now, either you get ready for church or we're going to have trouble. And that's what he said. He said, yeah, Dad, I've been thinking about this problem in you, Hattie. I said, what have you been thinking about it? He says, I've been thinking if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned in the Garden of Eden, we wouldn't have to wear clothes, man, you wouldn't be having this problem right now. <laughs> I, I mean, I wanted to beat him, but I, I just had to turn around because I was, what, what do you say to that? Nicole, was, she was ranting and raving that day about, yeah, I, I just can't stand being a pastor's kid. And, and I said, he said, Sis, he's, he said, you know, I think it, what, what a daddy was a drunk. He'd get his check every week and he'd go spend it all, get drunk and come home and be drunk and beat mom and beat us. And we never had money for groceries. And he said, you ever thought about that? She just kind of had that attitude. And you thought, well, if it had been one of the two, it would have been her. But she's a pastor's wife. She's an amazing pastor's wife. And mother and wife, so active in church. She just took a new position. She's going to be principal of an elementary school, a Christian school, Pleasant View, Tennessee. She's going to, well, she actually starts, I think, maybe this week sometime, uh, officially, in a new position. She's been teaching to this point. And, uh, but Ryan, Ryan was the one that said he was a preacher when he was 14 years old preached several times. Every time he preached, you couldn't get to the altar. There's so many people there when you give the invitation. He came over here and preached at a youth rally one Saturday night. I didn't get to come. I think Kathy and Nicole came with him, brought him here. And uh, he's heard me preach all, my, all his life. And as you know, I'm very personal. I, you know, I'm, I'm very transparent. What you see is what you get. It, it doesn't, get in, doesn't get any better. And hopefully it doesn't get much worse. And so he tried to do that that night. I understand, Kathy, as Kathy shared with me. And he told something very personal about himself and his message. And after he did, it embarrassed him that he did it, that he told it. I tried to talk to him. I said, Brian, you don't have to be like me. Be who you are. And I didn't think he'd ever preached another time after that. And I'll share with you last night, I found out he did preach a couple times out in California at a church while he was visiting with them some. I didn't even know about that. But at 19 years of age, Ryan started running. He was whitewater raft guide and got into mountain climbing and all that kind of thing. Married a young lady. From, I grew up in Spokane, Washington. Uh, Kelly, she's a sweet girl. We, we love her. And uh, she wasn't raised in church. Wasn't raised to, you know, go to church or have any interest in church. And, and do you, I don't know if you know this or not, people in the Northwest have an opinion about Southerners. And it's not good. I mean, they think we're just a bunch of, you know, toothless, one-strap overall wearing redneck illiterates. That's what they think most of us are. But that's, what, that's usually who they interview on the news. Is, you know, they find the biggest redneck they can find to interview. And that's how we get promoted. 
And they only, and, and it's bad enough, but if you're a Christian from the South, and if you are a preacher, and if you are a Baptist preacher, there's no hope. You are a right-wing fanatical. There's no hope for you. But, you know, we've loved her. We've loved Kelly. And she, listen, I believe she loves me and Kathy. She's opened up, she's began to open up to us more and more and more every time we're around her. Get to spend on, they live in Seattle, so we don't get to see them but a time or two a year maybe. And she even came her, come and heard me preach. The church I was talking about last night in California, she heard Ryan came there. I preached revival there, and they came for a couple of services. And first time she ever heard me preach. And uh, now she didn't make any kind of decision, but I watched her. She never took her eyes off of me. I laughed, she laughed. I cried, she cried. I mean, she was right there with me. And uh, Ryan told his mother later that as they went home, said she did all she talked about was, you know, if we could find a church just like that church that's accepting whoever comes. And a and a preacher that preached like your daddy, she said, I'd want to go all the time. He said, Mom, that was huge. But they're not in church. And both of them have so much ability, so much talent, so much to give. What a help they could be to church, some church and some pastor. But they don't go. They visit a place or two, but they found, didn't find anywhere they wanted to go. And, but they just don't go. Me and Kathy have prayed for them so much. Until I got to the point I didn't know what else to pray. I didn't know what else to ask God to do. Until one day I was looking at this text again. I got to thinking about that shepherd. That shepherd. I got to thinking that, you know, God's got some good shepherds all over the world. Not just preachers, but people who work in factories and schools and students and laymen and laywomen. You've got shepherds, good shepherds all over the world. And so I started praying this kind of prayer. I prayed, Lord, please touch the heart of some good shepherd in the company where Ryan and Kelly work. God, I believe in that company. Surely there's a, you got a good shepherd there. And God, put them in Ryan and Kelly's life and let them have influence with them and gain their trust and their respect and let them be able to say things to them, to them Lord, that they get mad if we say. Say things to them that they just expect us to say to them. That some good shepherd, help them to be found. God, touch the heart of some good shepherd in the neighborhood where they live. Touch the heart of some good shepherd that, that likes to climb mountains and, and whitewater raft and let them have influence in their life. They can say the things they need to hear that they won't listen to when we say. But when I began praying that prayer, you know what I realized? If I'm going to ask God to do that for me, if I'm going to ask God to touch the heart of some good shepherd to help reach my children, I've got to be willing to use God to use me to be that good shepherd for somebody else's children or somebody else's grandchildren. Don't you ask God to do that for your family if you're not willing to let God use you to do that for somebody else's family. And as I've traveled across this country, I've been amazed at how many opportunities God has given me to be that shepherd to some other people's children.
grandchildren that wouldn't listen to what their parents said, wouldn't listen to what their grandparents said, but somehow I connected. And they listened. I was preaching a revival years ago in a church, and one of the nights there was a, a lady, a grandmother, and her daughter, and then the granddaughter. There's three, three of these ladies, and sweet ladies, and they asked me what was my favorite meal. They said, you know, what, what's your favorite meal in all the world? And uh, I, I told her, you probably think this is nuts, but my favorite meal is, is, is fried pork chops, sauerkraut, crowder peas, cornbread. My favorite meal in all the world. She fixed it. She said she went to, I don't know how, she, I don't know how many places I went, so I found some crowder peas and, you know, and sauerkraut and stuff. And, but they, they fixed it. So we had it, they brought it to the church fellowship hall, so we're in there. And, it, and the little girl, uh, she was about, I think then she was probably eight or nine years old. And I was just impressed with, with her. She just, she was so sweet and just friendly. She just, you know, bringing people things to drink and taking their plates and, you know, can I, can I do this? I mean, just, just so helpful. I mean, I, I just was impressed. And she had on cowboy boots, so, you know, that, you know, we kind of connected because she, she liked my cowboy boots. So we kind of connected there. So we just kind of got to talking and, and kind of, developed a friendship and so while I was there the pastor and I one day took her and, and her mother and her grandmother to the boot store there uh, in the area and, and I bought her a pair of boots and oh boy she was just, she was just so excited she had those new boots on and so I I come back the next time I when I come back the next time she's she's poor like about you know 14 years old and and uh, so uh, of course we we you know continue that friendship and, and talk with her and, and we took them again got her got another pair of boots and and you know just 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 trying to encourage her just trying you know just trying to encourage a young person uh you know, i'm gonna tell you the world's not going to encourage them if we don't encourage them they may not be encouraged and uh, i was just there again this past fall and she's now 18 years old She's about to graduate. She's going to be graduating. She has by now. She's, she's actually graduating now from high school. And, uh, well, I was able to do some nice things for her while I was there. And she's a, she's a beautiful young girl. She, she got elected that same week of the revival. She got elected as uh, home, homecoming queen uh, in her school. She works to a Christian school, big Christian school. She uh, won a tennis tournament. <laughs> Uh, was champion of a tennis tournament. They had a big, big statewide tennis tournament, and uh, then she had also run for president. There was some kind of organization with the with the Christian schools in the state of South Carolina, and she became the, the state president of that that organization. Uh, all this happened that same week of that revival, and uh, I preached this sermon one night while I was there about being a shepherd to somebody else. The next night. Her mom comes up to me. She hands me a card. She says, I want you to read that. And uh, I opened it up. Now, I knew the girl's story. I knew that her daddy left her and her mom and didn't want her and didn't want anything to do with this little girl. He was a tennis pro, but he wouldn't even help her with tennis. She had to learn on her own. He didn't even want to have any. He still lived in the area, but had, wanted nothing to do with his daughter. I don't understand that. For the life of me, I don't get that. And I never will. Well, she got no love from her daddy. 
Then her mother married a guy who had been a youth pastor. He promised this little girl, this girl, he'd oh, he'd always be there for her as her stepdaddy. And a year after he went there, he left them. And in his card, her mother said to me, she said, I was talking to her last night. She looked at me. She says, Mama, my daddy don't love me. My stepdaddy doesn't love me. The preacher crow loves me. I'm talking about being a shepherd to somebody else's children and grandchildren. I'm talking about having an influence in people's lives for good and for God. Because I believe God wants every one of us as Christians to be a shepherd to somebody. I believe God's already hearing my prayers and He's already putting people in Ryan and Kelly's lives and they're changing and we're seeing it in our conversations and, 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 that, and I believe with all my heart we're going we're gonna to see we're going to see these things we've prayed for come to pass. But you pray for them when you think about it, please. Because I know some of you have some children and grandchildren probably that are away from the Lord, away from church. You've said everything you know to say to them. You've prayed everything you know to pray for them. Maybe start praying for God to put some good shepherd in their life. They can say things they get mad at you for saying. This lost sheep. Sheep didn't lose itself. Shepherd lost the sheep. So it was his responsibility to go after the sheep. Wow. If that doesn't challenge your heart tonight, I don't know what will. When we begin to understand that from Jesus' own mouth, this sermon of the lost and found, we have a responsibility to find the lost sheep. Would you bow with me for prayer? Tonight, the invitation is going to be simply this. First of all and always, if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm not talking about how good you are, how bad you are. I'm talking about do you have a personal relationship with Jesus. If you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus, you are always invited. You are always welcome at this altar to come and receive Him as your Lord and Savior. And secondly, there's some of you, there's some of you here that have children and grandchildren, friends, people you work with that are not in church. They're not serving the Lord. Maybe they once did, but for whatever reasons, they've left. Maybe tonight, God may want you just to come to this altar again and pray again and ask God but instead of praying all those things you've already prayed so many times, maybe just pray, God, put on the heart of some good shepherd in their life. Put them in their life and give them influence. Let them become friends and they'll listen to what they say so that they can be found. But if you're going to come and pray and ask God to do that for your children, your grandchildren, before you get up from the altar tonight, you ask God, and you say, God, I, 
I want you to use me. If I'm going to ask you to do that for my children, my grandchildren, my friends, my family, God, I want you to touch my heart. Let me be that good shepherd for somebody else's child, somebody else's grandchild, some lost sheep that's gotten away from the fold, whatever the reason, no matter who lost the sheep, God, use us. God, use us. Don't let us leave here tonight. Lord Jesus, I love you. Don't let us leave here tonight the same as we came in. Let us leave with an obligation and a responsibility in our heart and soul that there are those that are lost tonight, lost from you, from church, maybe lost from you, maybe just lost to faithfulness and lost to service. But Lord, they need to be found. God help us. Maybe tonight, Lord, as I've preached, you put in the minds and hearts of these sitting here someone that maybe they helped to lose. That maybe it was something they said or did. And Lord, maybe they just need to crucify their ego and crucify their arrogance and apologize try to see those lost sheep be found. Lord, I don't know that we got a whole lot of time left. So God, you help us. Help us to seek and to save that which is lost as is your purpose and it should be ours. Lord, I'll praise you and thank you for what you do in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, would you stand quietly to your feet as we stand together in prayerful attitude? They're going to begin to sing a song of invitation. I don't want you focused on the song. I want you focused on the Spirit of God and what He's saying to your heart tonight. I just, with all of my heart, I believe that some of you need to come and bring some children and grandchildren to this altar again in your prayers. Need to come and ask God to touch the heart of some good shepherd and put them in their lives. And I believe there's something that God's speaking to tonight that he wants you to come and say, God, I'll be that good shepherd. Use me. Let me be that good shepherd in somebody else's life, some other person's child, someone else's grandchild. I've knelt here by the pulpit already. I'm just going to pray again. I pray this prayer so often that God will help me everywhere I go to be a good shepherd, just to be a good shepherd to somebody's children and grandchildren that they might be found. As they sing, God spoke to you, you know it. I don't have to convince you of that. When they sing, as God spoke to you, you come on right now. You come on right now as God spoke to your heart.
are here, you can come. praying, God speaks, you can still come. You can still come. There's some people that God's put in your life that if you don't become a shepherd to them, they may not make it. They may not make it. They may not be found. 